You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Jack, Emilian, Anthony, and Arif. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Touchdown Under podcast. This is episode 19. I'm Jack, your host, and as always, I'm joined by Emilian. Hey, how's it going? Anthony. Good to be here. And Noah Riff this week, he cannot be with us, unfortunately, but we are going to uh, bring guys an episode nevertheless. And it's been quite a week in the NFL once again this week. Uh, we are through week three of the 2020 season, heading into week four. And there are a lot of uh, hot topics once again at the end of this week. We're going to kick it off with uh, our news and obviously once again, that's going to revolve around a lot of injuries that have been, uh, that, that have occurred this week once again. And the Seahawks are one of the hardest hit teams in terms of injuries this week, starting with Jamal Adams, a star safety who suffered a groin strain and didn't return to their game against the Cowboys. Chris Carson also didn't return after suffering a sprained knee injury while linebacker Jordan Brooks and offensive lineman Mark Party and Damian Lewis also exited early after suffering injuries. Emilian, I want to ask you, if the O-line injuries are indeed serious, how does that impact Russell Wilson and his MVP caliber 2020 campaign? Well, I mean, Russell Wilson's had a bad offensive line for a number of years now, and it hasn't really stopped him from winning games for the Seahawks. I think in terms of injuries to the O-line, Obviously, it's a big hit. The offensive line was looking good in the first three weeks. Not the best, but still pretty good uh, for Seahawks standards. So, I think that the injuries on defense are definitely a lot more impactful in terms of the Seahawks' success over the next few weeks. Um, this week, they've got the Dolphins, so not really that dangerous of a pass rush. So, I think the Seahawks' offensive line should be there, though. Should be fine. It's the week after against the Vikings with pro- a probable Daniel Hunter return. That's where the offensive line injuries are definitely going to be put to the test. Now, other injuries that occurred uh, this week were um, Philadelphia Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard, who suffered an ankle injury that will keep him out for some time, according to Ian Rappaport. Wide receiver Deshaun Jackson he, uh, also injured his hamstring um, in their tie against the Bengals. Now, we know how poorly the Eagles have started the season and the injuries really have started for them even before the season began and have continued, uh, you know, these first three weeks of the season. So, Anthony, do you think the season is over for the Eagles? It's kind of hard to say, but I feel like at week three, I think a draw against a team like the Bengals doesn't really, doesn't really show your season is going anywhere uh, you know, notable. I mean, they could turn it around. They could get players back and they could gain, they could gain momentum and we could see a different uh, Philadelphia Eagles in three weeks' time. But at the moment, with all the injuries they've, have, they've had, you know, as you said, Deshaun Jackson doing his hamstring, that's not going to help him. He'll be out for like three weeks minimum. I, I don't see them uh, winning the division at all or making a wildcard spot unless they can get players back and gain momentum immediately. Yeah, as you mentioned, with Deshaun Jackson out, um, Obviously, wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey has also been out for the first three weeks of the season. And uh, Jalen Brager also hurt his shoulder a couple of weeks back. So, you know, he's been missing time. And obviously now with Goddard as well, obviously the main target there in Philly is going to continue to be Zach Ertz. But there really isn't a lot of guys, you know, behind him that are going to be able to, you know, produce as 
anywhere near as much as him. And uh, another receiver, Marquise Goodwin, was an opt-out before the season began. So, obviously, their offense as a whole has taken a massive hit, and Carson Wentz's average play thus far has not helped that fact at all. Yeah, Jack, I think... Sorry, Anthony, go on. Go on sorry. sorry. I think, obviously, when you, your, your wide receivers go down, you're... You know, you have less depth in your tight end, your receiving core. You rely on your running game, obviously. And we know Miles Sanders is capable of being that guy for Philadelphia. He showed really promising signs in his rookie season. But I think with all the injuries to the team, I think if you're going to rely on your run game that much, I don't think you could, that's, that's not sustainable. So I think for the Eagles, I think just all the receivers going down, it's just going to, it's going to be an imbalance in the offense. And I reckon we'll see the run game be greatly affected as well. Yeah, Jack, I just want to mention that going into the season, you were definitely hyping up the Eagles a lot. And I understand that because of their depth at wide receiver. But as, you, as we know now, like that, that entire depth has kind of been wiped Also, I can't imagine how disappointed you are in how sustainable the Eagles' offense has been. Well, while I'm not an Eagles fan, and I can't say I'm that disappointed that I haven't played well, I did pick the Eagles to be uh, a definite force in the NFC this year. So... It has been disappointing, obviously, for Eagles fans and the organisation that, you know, it really hasn't come together so far. And, Anthony, you did bring up a good point about Miles Sanders because uh, even though he's been pretty good to start the year, um, they have had their fair share of injuries. And it's also been on the offensive line with Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson, the tackle, also suffering injuries. So, obviously, it's hard to see how a guy like Miles Sanders can benefit from those O-line injuries as well. And... As you guys know, I did pick Miles Sanders as one of my two, um, you know, sophomore rises this year. So it's been good to see him, you know, elevate his level of play after his rookie year. But it's hard to see how he can, you know, achieve sustained success with all the, um, you know, injuries around him. More injuries and 49ers tight end Jordan Reed suffered knee and ankle injuries during San Francisco's victory over the Giants adding to an already long list of injuries just three weeks into this season for San Francisco. Now, the 49ers fared, you know, very well against both New York teams this past fortnight. And um, so far, they've been able to cope with, you know, the inordinate amount of injuries they've suffered so far. But you have to think with, you know, more important games down the line uh, and with, you know, these big names still being out, how it's going to affect them. Obviously, they play the Eagles next week, which is at home, which you'd think they'd win. But after that, Emilian, how do you think that 49ers fare with most of their guys still out? Um, I think I think as long as Kittle's out, I think Kittle is definitely integral to that offense. We saw in 2018, I believe, when Jimmy Garoppolo was into that. The 49ers offense, while it was still pretty abysmal, George Kittle definitely... Um, brought it all together. So as long as he's out, 49ers offense is definitely going to struggle. I think their defense as well is really such a shame that all of these players are going down and suffered a lot. Um, I don't know. I think once they get to the division games, they're going to be extremely hard to win. Uh, they're facing the Rams in week six, and that I think is going to be their toughest test so far. And if, if they lose that game, I'm really not optimistic about their chances of obviously winning the division I don't think they're going to do any from now but even getting a wild card spot is going to be tough with the Rams and Cardinals and Seahawks all buying position you also got the Buccaneers and Saints over there and you never know with the NFC North so 49ers are in trouble if they can get Kittle back as soon as possible I think that will help them big time 
I've got a question. Um, go on, Ashman, sorry, it's got a question for you, Millen. Do you reckon, so obviously they beat the Giants 36 and 9 uh, this week. Do you reckon, given they have all those injuries, even though the Giants aren't in the greatest of form, do you reckon a win like that, no matter what team you put out on the field, do you reckon that boosts like, the momentum they have? So oh, that coming into absolutely. a game? Yeah. Absolutely. I think yeah. it's especially important for Nick Mullins for his first game, you know, um, starting. Uh, this season, I think it's very important to get a big win like that. Obviously, the Giants, I think, are one of the worst teams in the NFL, along with the Jets, especially without Saquon. I think Devontae Freeman, obviously, he's going to need to get used to the system. But a big win like that is definitely, on the road, is definitely uh, huge for them, moment-wise. They're, um, they're facing the Eagles this week, as Jack said, who are injury riddle. I think they can pull out a win there um, at home. So, going forward, if they get the momentum, I think they'll be fine. But it's, it's going to come down to those division games. Yeah, they are going to have to, you know, um, win as many games during this tough period as they can. Um, it is a good point you mentioned as well, Emilian, about, um, you know, the race for wildcard spots in the NFC. It's going to be really competitive. And even with the, the, the extra wildcard spot, there are going to be a lot of teams vying for that spot. And with these injuries, you know, all of a sudden, the, the team like the 49ers, you know, d- despite how good they were last year, and, you know, they, they've looked pretty good so far this year, but... You just never know, you know, in such a tough NFC. And you've got a feel for a guy like Jordan Reed, who has really just been endlessly injured, you know, going back to his days in Washington as well. So it's a real shame. Washington rookie defensive end Chase Young suffered a groin injury and didn't return against the Browns. However, the injury isn't expected to be serious. Now, we talked uh, after week one about um, Washington's, you know, pretty stellar defensive line play. And since then, it's, you know, it's, it's been relatively average. Um, they really haven't kind of been able to sustain, sustain that form. Um, and now with Chase Young out, um, you know, Anthony, do you think now with Young out that Washington kind of pitfalls? I think it's kind of hard to say. I think they're already in a position where obviously not performing very well. I think, I think it would take a toll on their defense quite substantially. I think, Especially, obviously, he was the second pick overall. I think as a defensive line, when you hear the news you're getting, you know, a pass rusher as the second pick in the NFL draft, I think that kind of adds momentum, even in the offseason. And the performance in week one was great, obviously. And I think with an injury to a player like that, you start to kind of question if they can continue. And I think there'll be, there'll be questions that the players on the defensive line have already if they can continue the form. And I think... A player of that of that level of skill will definitely take a toll for, for Washington. So I think it's a, it's a terrible injury because it was really something that we were looking out to watching this season. So I think this is not going to help. It's not going to help Washington, and they'll probably continue to fall. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you mentioned that. I think I think definitely the weak one performance from the Washington defensive line. They 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 definitely benefited from the broken Eagles offensive line, and we saw in week two against the Cardinals. They only got two sacks on Calamari. Doesn't have a good offensive line running in this week. They're playing the Ravens. I don't think they're going to be able to get to Lamar Jackson without Chase Young because he's more athletic as a defensive end. It's how much you need to get to Lamar if you're not just keeping our inside pocket. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that without Chase Young. Yeah. And they, yeah, they are facing the Ravens this week. So you think that um, it's going to be another loss for them this week. So going down to, they'd be one and three if they lose next week. It would probably just about, oh, almost just about, well, we're going to talk about it a bit later, uh, you know, Sue, um, about the NFC and um, how it may not take, you know, 
many wins at all to win the division. And so it's hard to rule out any team in the division just yet. But you'd think uh, if they lose next week and go to one and three, that's going to be pretty tough for them. Bears running back and return man Tariq Cohen tore his ACL against the Falcons as has, and has been placed on injured reserve and will miss the remainder of the 2020 season. And Tampa Bay wide receiver Chris Godwin suffered a hamstring injury during the Buccaneers win in Denver. And we did see um, a few really nice plays from tight end OJ Howard in his absence. So it will be interesting to see if he can, you know, kind of get his career off the ground if Godwin does indeed miss time. I think uh, it's kind of it's a shame because Godwin just got back from injury, you know, against the the Broncos. To see him, I think he was only on for maybe, I think about a half of that game. He's got a touchdown, so he had good impact. But, uh, you know, hamstring is one of those annoying injuries because, you know, you're out for three weeks pretty much automatically. I think I think the Buccaneers have enough to, like, to get wins in the next couple of weeks without him. You know, they've shown Mike Evans definitely is a guy that they can rely on in, in close games. And they've got that depth with Ronald Jones and uh, Leonard Fournette. So it shouldn't be too much of an issue um, going down the track. Yeah, it should be fine. Now, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of these 0-3 teams um, after three weeks who have, you know, been, you know, pretty disappointing considering perhaps preseason expectations. And a couple of teams I want to highlight are the Houston Texans and the Minnesota Vikings. Now, while I think, in my opinion at least, the Texans probably weren't expected to win many, if at all, of their first three games coming up against, you know, teams like the Chiefs, Ravens, and then Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, I'm not really that surprised that they're 0-3, but it's really been the lack of competitiveness that they've shown in these games has been concerning. And it does really, you know, shine a light on, uh, in my opinion, the ineptitude of head coach Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, Jack, there. I think... I, I didn't expect them to beat the Ravens or the Chiefs. I definitely expected both the Chiefs and Ravens to destroy the Texans there. But I would have hoped that the Texans would at least at least perform better against them, if you know what I mean. Like, they, they, as you said, Jack, they're just not competing at all. Uh, Deshaun Watson doesn't look great. The receivers aren't really fulfilling their potential as a kind of like three-headed monster, you know, with uh, Cooks, Fuller, and Stills. Even Cobb in there, like, he's been he's shown signs of, you know, playing well, but it's just not clicking right now. Um so, yeah, I think, I think the loss against the Steelers was definitely big. I think it will impact them heavily. And I hope – well, I mean, I don't hope, but I think that this severe underperformance is definitely going to affect Bill O'Brien's uh, job in the future. Well, um, honestly, I, I know the last few weeks, obviously they had the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Steelers. We, you said before, Jack, there's, that's not easy teams to beat in the NFL. There's no, there's no questioning that. There's, but I think, I think this is a question that we should re – should definitely mention next week's in, in sorry next week next week's episode because they're playing the Vikings who are also zero three and we had slightly higher expectations to you know to not go zero three at this point in the season so I think if the Texans go zero four I think that's alarm bells that that's like inability to not rebound after going zero three against hard teams then to have an opportunity to then get your season back on track if they don't capitalize on that I, I'd be very concerned but you know on the flip side. You know, the Vikings are also 0-3. And we, I think we expected a better uh, display from their defense to make games closer than they have been down, the, down these, these last three games. They been, haven't been that close, some most of them. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not with you on that one, Anthony. I think that the Vikings have also had their fair share of strong opponents. I mean, you get the Packers in week one uh, with Aaron Rodgers, who's playing some of the best football of his career right now. 
Um, you've got and, – and also the Vikings, they lost five starters on defense. I don't think that was really yeah. – um, I definitely didn't have high expectations for their defense at all this season. I was hoping from them, especially without Neil Honda Bell, I was hoping from them to see more of a rise out of Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, who played well this week, but first few weeks he was pretty quiet, and Kirk Cousins. I think that the offense really needs to step up because their defense is still getting used to it with um, the new rookies and new yeah. players. It's a young defense, and they definitely – as a whole, need to step up, but they haven't had easy opponents the first three weeks. That's yeah, fair enough. Yeah, despite that little million, I do agree with Anthony in the sense that we expected more out of this defense. They do have, you know, they've got capable guys there. Um, there. There are a lot of first round draft picks playing in that defense, and they just picked up Yannick Ngakwe, who really hasn't made as much of an impact as, you know, most Vikings fans would have wanted him to. Over the first three games, they've considered an average of 34 points per game. On de- uh, they, they've given up 34 points on average, which is, that's just not good enough. And, you know, despite Kirk Cousins, you know, having played quite poorly so far, it is hard for him when the defense, uh, you know, can't get off the field, you know. They're giving up all these points and, you know, it's hard for the offense you know, even with a guy like Davin Cook, who can do whatever he wants pretty much most of the time, it's pretty hard for them to, um, you know, stay in games uh, when the defense really can't get off the field. They played pretty well, I thought, against the Titans to, um, you know, the Titans really had to scrap that win out. But, um, yeah, they've been pretty poor to start the season. I think... Yeah, Jack, uh, sorry, I think... Sorry, go on. Go on. Uh, so, Jack, I just want to ask you, do you think that um, when Daniil Hunter returns to the... Vikings, do you think we'll see like a lift from the rest of the uh, rest of the defense or not? I think we see a bit of a lift. I'm not sure how much, but uh, he's going to need some time as well because you know it will be his first game in the season. He's not going to you know come straight away the first game back and um, you know have three sacks or something like. But the things with Dylan Hunter is he improves up pass rush immensely at his best, and a good pass rush helps you know a secondary defending you know against the pass. So. I think we do see a lift, um, probably not a massive lift right when he comes back, but as he eases into action and kind of increases his snap count, I think we will see improved output not only from Hunter, but also from that defense. But it might be too late by then because they are 0-3 now. And next uh, this week, they, they have to travel to Houston and play a Texas team who's going to be really hungry for a win. You know, they, they could be 0-5 because then they play the Seahawks uh, in Seattle after that, which is... You know, a really tough game considering they're right now. Now, we were also going to talk a little bit about the NFC East, or as uh, a lot of people like to refer to them as the NFC Least, because at least in my opinion, I think they are, you know, the worst division in football uh, at the moment in terms of the quality of play from the four teams. Um, the Giants have been garbage, uh, as they have been for the last few seasons. Washington um, had a really nice start in week one, but have kind of faded away already in the, next couple, in the, in the, in the last couple of weeks. So, and then you, you've got the Eagles who have, despite the injuries, have played poorly as well, and that hasn't helped. So they're winless. The Cowboys have been pretty un- unlucky to be one and two, but at the moment, they're the best team in this division, and that's just a lot about how poor it is right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the Vikings, oh, sorry, not the Vikings, the Cowboys, definitely the standout team in this division right now. But as I said, Jack, they have been unlucky to lose. They came close against the Rams, they came close against the Seahawks. Managed to pull off a win against the Falcons. Um, don't know how much we attribute to that, uh, that to the Falcons' collapse, if you will. But, um, yeah, this is honestly one of the worst divisions of football I've ever seen, honestly. I think it's up there with the NFC West in 2011. 
Yeah, I'm gonna make a point later on in the um in the uh, episode, but I feel like the Cowboys they're one and two at the moment, and you mentioned before, million they they're two losses, just one score losses, and not like we're seeing like a blowouts or anything, twenty point plus losses. So I think one and two is definitely the season's not the season's not beyond them by any by any means. It's it, if, if they can get the win against Cleveland, they're two and two. I think they have that offense. They got Zeke. They got you know plenty of receivers. There's not much of a worry for for Dallas. But you know if they start if they start losing games that they should win, then I would be more concerned. But at this point in time, I'm not concerned. It's a good point, Anthony, you make about um, Dallas's offense because that you know that aspect of their team has looked really potent so far um, with Elliott um, and Dak has looked pretty good throwing the ball. You know you've got Amari Cooper there who is really reliable now. Well, he's been reliable ever since in Dallas. Michael Gallup has looked you know still really good in his second season, um, and you've got C.D. Lamb who's you know already looked at home in a Dallas offense. Their defense has looked a bit slow, and that is probably what I would say has been the downside for them so far. But I think the offense can take them places this season. Um, I didn't think Dallas would be the team to come out of the NFC East in 2020, but so far it's looking that way, considering you know the disastrous you know sequence of events that's happened with the Eagles so far. So, um, but yeah, Emilian, obviously this division has been really poor as a whole, and it does look like it's going to be the worst division this season. Yeah, Jack, just back to your point about the Cowboys' offense, I completely agree. They're, they're really good right now, and they're carrying the team. And I think it's important to note that the teams they're facing in the division have weak offenses right now. The Eagles are looking really bad on offense. Carson Wentz is playing really, really bad. Uh, the Giants obviously don't really have anyone, same as the Washington football team. So the Cowboys' defense, I don't think, will struggle too much against the rest of the teams. And if their offense can play as it has the past three weeks, they'll they'll easily win most of their division games and that's going to give them the title, I reckon, of the NFC East. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, the flip side of being the worst division is that, you know, the best team in that division gets to play the other three teams twice in that season. So, um, I think if the Cowboys can take advantage of those, you know, two games against the Giants and um, Washington, that they probably will come away with the title this season. Um, it's going to take quite an effort from the Eagles and at this stage... I don't think they could even make a wild card spot considering their current uh, level of play and, you know, all those injuries. So we also want to talk about some under underperforming coaches and there have been, uh, you know, a number of them so far this year. And I know a lot of Jets fans have been really disgusted by um, the level of play that they've seen from their team and how much of that they've attributed to uh, head coach Adam Gaze. And we've all really voiced our, you know, displeasure at Adam Gaze, Adam Gaze's coaching. Um, he's been, you know, he's been poor in New York. He's been poor in Miami. Um, you know, you have to go uh, as far back as his days in Chicago as an offensive coordinator as the last time, you know, we've seen kind of competent coaching out of him. So he's one guy. Um, Bill O'Brien, there's been a lot of, you know, rumblings out of Houston um, from their fans about, um, wanting to fire O'Brien and, you know, an 0-3 start kind of pushes that narrative a bit. And uh, same with Dan Quinn uh, with the 0-3 Falcons who have, you know, collapsed, um, have had two major collapses um, in three games. So, uh, yeah. What do you guys think, I think about that? I think the point with Adam Gaze, I think, so obviously he signed with the Jets uh, at the of 2019 season. And so he was currently... Um, on the Dolphins, and they went seven and nine. So I honestly think this is down to like the Jets' board for selecting Adam Gase. I don't understand 
obviously he was the offensive coordinator in Denver when they won the Super Bowl, which was probably, which is definitely the best um, part of his career that kind of, you know, boosts his resume. Uh, but I think selecting, you know, Adam Gase from the Dolphins when they went seven and nine, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why they did that. I, don't, I just don't understand. There's, there's, there's no logical reason why you'd, you'd select. The, the, Jets were, the Jets were below the Dolphins in that position. And to select, I don't know, to select someone from a team that went 7-9, there's not, I don't understand why. I just don't understand why I did that. Yeah, even, even then, Anthony, you mentioned that he was the offensive coordinator when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. But that offense was terrible. Like, it had, it had, it had a, like, uh, Peyton Manning was playing, obviously, the worst football of his career. Like, he, he just looked completely out of shape. The defense won them that, that Super Bowl. They held their opponents to under, under 20 points. I can't remember all that much, mm-hmm. but their defense carried that team. It was nothing to do with the offense, honestly. Yeah. I think the point also got to bring up without, like, why they chose, you know, Adam Gase. I think the, the, the blame probably goes more on the board for the New York Jets than it is Adam Gase itself. It's just a bad decision to hire him. Full stop. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think uh, the decision uh, in favour of Gaze probably had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, they just drafted Sam Donald and they wanted an offensive guy to come in and kind of lead the, lead the way and uh, build some rapport with their young quarterback and kind of help develop him, in, develop him into the franchise guy they hoped he'd be. And uh, it looks like, you know, it looks like he's kind of um, been... Uh, you know, severely impacted by the coaching and the lack of talent around him. And I'm talking about Donald here. Um, I think he needs to get out of New York as soon as possible, as long as Adam Gaze is still there. Um, or they need to fire Adam Gaze as soon as possible because it's just not working. And uh, sooner or later, it's going to really reflect poorly on Sam Donald's play, as it already has so far this season. So... Before we get get into our segments for this week, um, we've also got a little bit more news, and that is in the form of the Tennessee Titans COVID-19 outbreak. And what we know so far is that nine members of the Tennessee Titans have produced, uh, sorry, confirmed positive tests in the past four days. The Titans have closed their practice facility until at least Saturday, which obviously jeopardizes the status of Tennessee's Sunday game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. To this point, though, the NFL hasn't announced uh, if any games will be postponed due to the outbreak, but you'd have to think that there is, you know, some possibility that that will occur, uh, you know, if these um, positive cases have spread to other players or personnel within the Titans or even the Vikings. I think this is probably the biggest story in all of our new segment so far this week. I think this, I, I, don't, think any, I don't think anyone can just deny this as just like a one-time thing. Because obviously, if the Titans have had cases confirmed, you know, prior to the game or before or after the game, that indicates that they had the virus, you know, within a two-week period. Like there's there's potential that, you know, the Jaguars players might have it, uh, Broncos players might have it, and then it just there's potential that every team could have some link to an outbreak started by the Titans. It could be started for another team. We don't know. So. I don't know. This this is this is such a big issue. This could this could this could bring a halt to the entire NFL season in just like in just a week. We we could see this time next week games being cancelled left, right, and centre. Anthony, I think it's a little bit of a a stretch there um, in terms of you know game yeah a bunch of games or even a whole week being postponed. I think if they can limit it to just the Titans and maybe even the Vikings, but I don't think the I don't think any Vikings have tested positive just yet. But it sounds like that 
the Titans weren't tested on game day, but the tests that they undertook before game day, they were in all negative. Otherwise, they wouldn't have played the game. So it seems like maybe uh, due to them not being tested on game day, then maybe a couple of them were positive on game day. Obviously, you're hoping that they're not, but um, if they are, then you'd hope that the NFL is able to limit, limit these outbreaks to just the Titans and Vikings and make any necessary schedule adjustments, you know, if need be. I wonder, I've got a question for you guys. I wonder, with these outbreaks, perhaps... And so you said it was like maybe an overreaction, but what if it in like two weeks' time or three weeks' time, this does become a lot more of a serious issue? Do you reckon the NFL will move to perhaps, I don't know, for example, maybe maybe to LA, the new stadium, to I don't know, create like a hub like what they've done for the NBA and the AFL? I, th- I think there's way too many people involved with NFL teams. You've got already a 53-man roster, and that's not including like practice squad and all that. Then you've got all of the coaching staff, all that. I think... There's way too many people involved um, to create a hub for the NFL, and I think in terms of scheduling, it just it just wouldn't work. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like it doesn't matter how big the league is, how many people are involved. If you're going to stop the virus, you have you have to. The NBA did the NBA did the right thing by creating a hub. I know there's less logistics involved in the NBA versus versus the NFL, but I feel like if the NFL is like serious about eliminating the virus, instead of just you know having some rogue plan to hope that it doesn't come up in games, they should create a hub. But uh, that depends on how serious the issue gets. Look, we, we, saw, we saw a similar situation in the MLB at, when, they started, when they resumed their season, or when they started their season. A few, play, a few players tested positive, and then uh, a lot of games were postponed because teams refused to travel, obviously. But they managed to get back on their feet, and they're in the postseason now. So I think, I think the NFL will contain this. I think it's fine, honestly. I agree, Million. And the other thing is we need to really wait until all the facts on this come out and we need to wait for more tests to be undertaken before we can even start speculating about the possibility of, you know, um, a kind of bubble type um, setup for the NFL. I think with the NFL, I think, um, I think if the, if the NBA and MLB can get off of like, you know, a season and, you know, the end of the season and um, playoffs, I think the NFL can as well. Um, I really don't think the NFL will be um, cancelled at any point. Um, th- there probably is a possibility that it could become a bubble type setup, but yeah, that, that is going to require a lot of you know planning and logistics, as you say, Anthony. And I, I don't think we should start speculating about that quite yet until we know all the facts about this current out- outbreak with the Titans, and we will find out more in the coming days. Now, after all of that, we're going to finally move into our segments for this week's episode. And we're going to kick it off with our power rankings as we do each week. And sitting at number 32 on our power rankings, once again, are the New York Jets. The New York Giants are right there with them at 31. The Jaguars coming in at 30 after their loss. At 29, the Bengals. Washington are in at 28. And at 27, the Dolphins jumped up a few spots um, after their win against the Jaguars in Jacksonville now. As we've talked about, Miami has been competitive in just about every game they've played so far this season. So it probably wasn't that surprising to see that they got to win. But I think we expected, you know, a lot more of the Jacksonville Jaguars at home after how, you know, how much promise they've shown so far. But Miami finally got their first win and they see at number 27. Yeah, they absolutely have Sorry, Anthony, go on. No, you go on. So, yeah, I think, yeah, they, they definitely came into that game and they wanted to win. You can see... How much, how well Ryan Fitzpatrick played, I think. Um, he definitely wanted to show that he's not, he's not done. He, he still has some fuel left in the tank. 
Dolphins came in there, they took the win. Obviously, the Jags were missing Chuck, but I don't think that's an excuse. Um, they definitely need to play a lot better than they did. The defense just just got abused, honestly. They, they could not stop the Dolphins to, to save their lives, and the offense looked just as bad. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Anthony? No, I'm good. You covered, the, you covered the point. It's all good. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Emilian with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's one of those quarterbacks who can really rally his teammates and he just shows so much passion out there on the field, especially when, you know, he's playing well and the team's playing well. So, um, you know, if they're playing well and he's at quarterback, then um, I don't see Tua getting a run at quarterback anytime soon. It may still be a few more weeks until we see him at quarterback. But yeah, Fitz, Fitz Magic looks in form at the moment and the Dolphins are at 27 on rankings. At 26 with the Panthers, at 25, the Atlanta Falcons. And at 24, the Lions move up after their really hard-fought win against the Cardinals in Arizona. Lions fans finally get some joy after uh, their first couple of weeks. Obviously, that massive week one letdown against Chicago. Uh, but this was a really massive win for their season. Um, going to 0-3 would have probably been the end for them, especially in a tough NFC North. But getting a win was, you know, um, really important for them. And... They've got a really interesting game coming up this weekend against the New Orleans Saints at home. So the Saints have been in, you know, pretty average form recently over these last two weeks. And so I think that, that suddenly becomes a winnable game. Yeah, I think also, like, if we're looking at the NFC North as a whole at the moment, I think the line, obviously you, you said, Jack, the, the win against the Cardinals, I think it's a great win. Any win in the NFL is a great win. But I think going... Going, winning that game and then going into a game against the Saints. And if they're able to come away with a win, they're obviously 2-2. Two and two. They've got momentum on their side now. I think it puts the Vikings clearly in that last position in the NFC North. And I think the Lions can build upon the momentum that they've got um, against the Cardinals. And if they beat the Saints, I think they could potentially have their eyes on a wildcard spot if they can, um, if they can really, you know, gain more momentum going into the season because I was going to mention, you know, uh, week one, they nearly beat the Bears. It was really close and they had that lead for most of the game. So I think I'm nearly, I'm always going to say that the, the, the Lions are probably a little bit underrated at this point in the season. And I think they have a lot more potential than they're currently showing. Yeah, it becomes a really important game this weekend. Um in terms of wildcard spots, obviously we talked about the NFC being really competitive and I think the Lions are just going to have to keep winning, especially in the NFC North because the Bears and Packers, if they keep winning, then it's still going to be really hard for the Lions. But mm. I think this week is crucial. If they win, then I think the, you know, the direction of their season changes completely if they win this weekend. But if they lose, then it's kind of like, you know, they're still inconsistent and it's probably going to be another losing season. So this week becomes really important and it is winnable, I believe. Yeah, in, t- in terms of momentum, they, they went into Arizona and they stopped a really hot Cardinals team co- who was coming in 2-0. You know, Kyle Murray was playing great. And then the, the Lions took them down a peg. The Lions forced Kyle Murray to throw three interceptions. Um, so they definitely, they're definitely riding momentum. Now, the Saints are on a low momentum, two straight losses, disappointing performances as well. So, if the, yeah, I agree with you guys. If the Lions can win here, they could definitely compete for a wildcard spot. Obviously, it's going to be tough with the competition in the NFC West. All four teams are definitely going to want to be in the playoffs there. But Lions, I think if they win this, they'll definitely – they'll look good. They'll look good. 
At number 23 of the Broncos, at 22 of the Vikings, and at 21 of the Philadelphia Eagles. And we talked about their really poor start to the season. And I think there's a real chance that it continues this week. They face the 49ers, and I think they possibly move to 0-3-1 in the season, which would be a disaster for them. And I think that will spell the end of their 2020 playoff chances. Yeah, I think I mentioned before how um, the 49ers getting a win against the Giants, they were, their, their team was really banged up. And for them to go out and win like that, like the way they did, they, they'll have the confidence going into this Eagles game, knowing that the Eagles are also severely banged up, that they can, you know, they can, they can get on top of the Eagles in this matchup. I think, I think they've proven that their, their backup team with, you know, all their second, uh, second string players playing for the 49ers, they have that confidence now. And it's just a matter of executing. I think they can. On now to number 20 with the Los Angeles Chargers at 19, the Cowboys, and at 18, the Cleveland Browns, who have now won two in a row since starting 0-1. They beat uh, Washington last week, and uh, they face the Cowboys in Dallas this weekend, which is, I think, a winnable game, but it will be tough. Um, I think the Cowboys, uh, we talked about their offense. I think at home they might topple the Browns, but it will be an interesting game for sure. For me, the X factor in that game is going to be Miles Garrett. If he if he can get to Dak Prescott and put pressure on him and force Dak to make insanely good plays, then I think the Browns have a shot here. I think I think I think the Browns' offense is more than capable of scoring points on the Cowboys' defense. There's no doubt about that. It's it's the other side of the ball. The Cowboys' offense is looking good right now, and it all starts with the amount of protection that Dak Prescott had in the Seahawks game. He had all the time in the world for it, and he just threw um he threw dots left and right. So that's the key here for me. Yeah, I agree. The um, Browns' running game has been a real uh, driver, a really dr- a real driving force um, in these last two weeks, in their last two wins. So if that can continue, I see no reason why the Browns can't go into Dallas and win. At number 17, we have the Raiders. At 16, the Texans. And at 15, uh, the Chicago Bears. And this is their first um, parenting shift this season after they came back again to beat Atlanta in Atlanta. Emilian, I want to know your thoughts about the Bears so far this season. They've had a couple of fortunate wins, a um, couple of comebacks. Obviously, I made the switch to Nick Foles at quarterback in the second half of that game on the weekend. Personally, I think he changes the outlook of their offense completely, but I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, look, I think we can all agree the Bears are the worst 3 0 team right now in the league. Oh, we, we can't say no because. They, they have, they've won each of their games by one score and the teams they have faced, they aren't necessarily good. I think the Lions, you know, they're 1-2 and two right now. The Giants are 0-3. The Falcons are 0-3. So, like, their wins, while they've been good, they've been getting some comebacks lately, you know, all well and done. But they haven't been too impressive. So, I think the switch to Foles was good. But for me, Nick Foles isn't a good regular season quarterback. I think he's good late in the season and in the postseason. And I don't think that the Bears are really going to... I think he's better than Trubisky, no doubt. But I don't think the Bears, as a whole, are going to elevate to a whole new level. I mean, he played well against the Falcons' defense, but that's the Falcons' defense. We'll see how he goes against the Colts next week. I think that's definitely going to sort of impact how how we look at the Bears' season from now on. Yeah, I think, honestly, I'm not, I think Nick Foles obviously got the start. You know, uh, Trubisky got benched in that game against the Falcons, and Trubisky, you know... Sorry, Nick Foles finished off that comeback. I think it's time that we. I think it's time that we see Nick Foles get a clean, like a good ten game run of being a starter for an NFL team because 
every time he comes in as a backup and like a quarterback gets benched and he comes in and he, he delivers almost every single time. I don't, I honestly, this is a bit of a stretch, but I honestly think that back in his days in Philadelphia, he should have been a starter after what he did in, you know, winning that Super Bowl. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying Carson Wentz was, you know, it was clear that starting the starter for them. I feel like Nick Foles should have, I think he should definitely have been the starter there. I think now that he's got that opportunity and he's delivered in week three against the Falcons, there's absolutely no reason. And the Chicago Bears should, they should definitely make him the starter. No doubt about it. You know, you've got to feel as if there are still Philadelphia Eagles fans who are wondering if they made a right decision in keeping Wentz instead of Foles, especially now, because Wentz has been pretty poor start of the season. And if they miss a playoff this year, the Eagles, then you've definitely got to start wondering, um, you know, if and when they potentially make a switch to Jalen Hurts, who they drafted this year, which was an interesting pick. And now it's kind of, you know, starting to kind of come, into, come up in discussion as to whether he... Um, could be a better answer than Wentz. But Emilian, just to finish off this little point, I want to know if the Bears beat the Colts this week and they go to 4-0 on the season, what are you going to say then about the Bears? I'm going to say it's, it's, it's going to be impressive if they can win. They are at home against the Colts. And I'm, I'm still not sold on the Colts right now. I think the win against the Jets was good. But Philip Rivers definitely doesn't look good when he's under pressure. And I think the Bears are going to bring that pressure to Philip Rivers. So... If, if the Colts lose to the Bears, if the Bears beat the Colts convincingly, all right, if they, if they win without needing a comeback or they don't, it doesn't go to the last drive, if they beat them solid, right, I'll be, I'll be happy for the Bears. That being said, I, I still think the Packers are winning that division. I think they're easily the best team in that division right now. And I, sti- I, I don't see the Bears getting a wild card spot, even if they win against the Colts, even if they go 4 0, because of how good the other teams are in the NFC. I think. The Bucks and I think the rest of the NFC West, barring the 49ers, are all better than the Bears right now. And that's just how I see it. That's a big call because if the Bears were to go and for, were to go to four and zero on the season, for them to then miss out completely on the playoffs would be, I think, that would be pretty rare. I don't know if that's ever happened before. A four and zero team to not even make a playoffs after that, that would be quite extraordinary. So we will see how it goes. But I do like a point out for the Rivers. He uh, so far. You know, at his time in Indianapolis, he has um, he's been making really quick decisions. He hasn't been holding the ball very long. I did read a stat where he's been holding the ball for a very short amount of time, um, one of the shortest amount of times in the league in terms of uh, you know time holding the ball after the ball is snapped. So clearly, he's trying to kind of get the ball out quickly uh, and get to his playmakers. You know, you got T. Y. Hilton, Jonathan Taylor, so. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Bears defense counteracts that kind of, you know, dink and dunk kind of game, kind of a scheme that they've got going with Rivers. Uh, we have the Rams at 14, uh, the Cardinals at 13, the Colts at 12, the Patriots coming at 11, the Titans are at 10, the Bills are at 9, Steelers at 8, 49ers at 7, and the Saints who are at 6 despite... Um, a one and two start to the season. And as we mentioned, they play a very important game against the Lions in Detroit this week. And who would have thought that this week four game in Detroit would be so important to their season? Because if they go one and three now, it's going to be a long road back for the Saints, especially not only in their own division, but also in terms of a wildcard race. I wonder, I wonder how much 
the like having no fans at um, Mercedes-Benz Dome really goes to the to um, the Saints losing that game against the Packers. Um, I think I think it really it really does have a large a large impact impact on the Saints' performance this year. I think that I know it was a, it was a disappointing loss, but to be like if we're being honest here, like that that game that was a close game the entire time until that final drive by the Packers where you know you had that two pass interference calls called on Janoris Jenkins one. One was like was like a fifty yard penalty and was brought to the one yard line, and then the second one was only a couple of plays later when they um, in the end zone they got the um, you know, pass interference call again, and that just that just took the game away from them. So they haven't been that bad, and I think that's the reason why this their six not any lower because um, you know they, the game wasn't a blowout by any means. So you know this 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 game against the Lions is really important as to whether or not they fall any lower on our power rankings. You know, I think it's um it's fun to mention. I would have loved to see this this game, uh, but with both starting receivers in. I think if Michael Thomas was in for the Saints and Devontae Adams was in for the Packers, we could have gotten a much a much more entertaining game, obviously. But it would have been interesting to see if the Saints could win that. I think that the Packers would definitely struggle against Michael Thomas and Kamara, who who was balling out against the Packers. Man, uh, he he was insane that game. But on the other side, the Packers with Devontae Adams are near unstoppable. Devontae Adams is one of the best route runners in the league, one of the best receivers in the league. So going forward, we'll see how the Saints go without Michael Thomas. Do we know when he's back? He's rumored to come back week four, but that's not a certainty. All right. So so he'll be back soon. He'll be back soon. So I think I think once he's back, the Saints will pick up definitely on both sides of the yeah. line. I think their team as a whole will definitely get going. So I don't think it's I don't think we should count them out just yet, even if they lose against the Lions this week. Yeah, I really like your point, Anthony, about the no crowd at Mercedes-Benz Superdome. They, the crowd at that stadium is actually quite underrated. They do get quite a lot of noise. And I feel like uh, we did see a few um, hard counts from Aaron Rodgers that actually caught the Saints off uh, offside. And that doesn't happen yeah. if there's a full crowd yeah, at Mercedes-Benz exactly. Superdome. And uh, he, Rodgers, I can tell you for a for a fact, he would be bothered by that crowd if it's roaring, especially on third down. You know, the lack of sound in that stadium definitely helped him more than it helped the Saints. Uh, it really would have boosted the Saints on defense. And it's just, it's, just, it's just another point about that, you know, no crowds being there. And the Saints are going to adapt. They're going to adapt to life without Thomas for a little bit longer, maybe. And they're going to adapt to life without a crowd, at least for, you know, the foreseeable future. But yeah, a million... Alvin Kamara has been, you know, obviously he's been MVP for the Saints so far. And I think he's the best player on that team. And he made some incredible plays against the Packers and they still couldn't get it done. Janoris Jenkins was pretty terrible in that game. Um, and so they're going to see a real lift at that defense if they're going to not only beat Detroit, who play quite well at Ford Field, and, uh, you know, if they're going to climb back and win a division. Now, we move, into, we move into our top five on this week's rankings, and we've got the Packers at five. And as we talked about, they've had a really strong start to the season and are one of, if not the best, NFC team so far. Um, I think it's up there. I think they're up there with the um, Seahawks. I think they've been better than the Buccaneers. Um, but, you know, we've talked about it. They've been really good. Um, and they played the Falcons at home this week with a really, really strong chance to go 4-0. 
On to number four, we have the Buccaneers, and at three, the Seahawks, at two, the Ravens, and at one, the Kansas City Chiefs, who retain top spot on our rankings after a dominant display against the Ravens in Baltimore. And, you know, the Ravens made it look close. They came within one touch in the second half, but for most of that game, it was a real dominate, a dominant performance from the Kansas City offense and defense. Yeah, absolutely. Lamar Jackson just got shut down. He... This has under 100 passing yards, and I think that is an absolute inc- absolutely incredible feat by the Chiefs defense to hold the reigning MVP um, who led the league in touchdowns last year just to less than 100 yards passing. And it shows really that Lamar Jackson needs to stop relying on his legs. I think he, he needs to improve his passing a lot more. And he, 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 just couldn't, he just couldn't make the throws when he needed to, when he was under pressure, when he was scrambling outside the pocket. He needs to have that playmaking ability that you see from other top quarterbacks uh, in Mahomes and Wilson, so and Rodgers as well. Uh, Lamar Jackson definitely has a lot of developing to do because right now, if, if, if something doesn't work for him, if he's, if he's trailing in a game, he's not, he's not able to come back. And I think that's massive. I agree. That caps off our parentings for a week, going to week four. And we're going to move onwards to Arif's Rising Rookies for Week 4. And since Arif isn't with us today, um, we are going to pick up a slack for him. And Anthony's going to kick it off with Arif's Rookies of the Week. Sure. So to get started, so recapping all uh, the rookies we had for Week 3, um, I'm going to start with the honourable mention. That was Michael Onwenu. Um, I think he deserves an honourable mention for his insanely good start to the season, especially with a six-round you know, a six-round offensive lineman being thrust into the line so quickly. He only gave up one quarterback pressure the entire game against the Raiders and still has not given up a sack the entire season. So he has to be—he has to definitely be an honorable mention for us. Um, at number three, we had T. Higgins. So he had five receptions on nine targets for 40 yards and two touchdowns. Higgins is developing into a mismatch nightmare for, you know, uh, opposing defenses. And along with Jefferson and Brandon Ayuk uh, of the 49ers, we really saw what the future of the NFL in receiver, sorry, for receivers is going to be like in the future. And number two, we had Jeremy Chin, uh, recorded 12, sackle, sorry, sorry, 12 tackles and a key, uh, a key diving pass breakup. Chin, he looked comfortable, even though he's played 100% of snaps every game so far this season. He's been impressive. And the Panthers fans are you know, certainly looking forward to his official breakout. I anticipate him to be you know, in my top three in this, sometime this season. Uh, and at number one for, for, for week three, I had Justin Jefferson. He had seven receptions for nine targets and a massive 175 yards and a touchdown. He's a star in the making. And just me personally, I had him as my offensive rookie of the year. And I think... He didn't have the greatest of starts in the first couple of weeks, but I think as the offense starts to warm up, his his ability and his talent will will, will shine through eventually. And it started up with, against the Titans with that performance. Yeah, so on on to Jack for rising rookies for week four. Thanks, Anthony. Now, Roos rises rookies for week four. He's got CJ Henderson as the first one. Henderson had a bad game. Uh, against the Miami Dolphins. He struggled against Devontae Parker, but he will look to bounce back against the Bengals this week in week four. Jonathan Taylor is his second rookie. Uh, Taylor looked to find opportunities against a Bears defense, which has struggled 
defending the run um, against the Falcons and Lions. And his third rookie of week four is Alton Robinson. Robinson came out big in, you know, in important stages of the game against the Cowboys and him and Shaquem Griffin could be the answer to Seattle's issues getting to the quarterback. So Sitcher Henderson, Jonathan Taylor and Alton Robinson are three rookies, Russell rookies for week four. Now on to our next segment and that is Anthony's Q&A. And we have three questions once again this week. And our first one, Anthony, comes from Talk Smack with Mac, who asks, should Saints fans be worried? Yeah, see, I think it's still too early to say whether or not Saints fans should be worried. I think I mentioned it before how that loss against Green Bay, it wasn't obviously a loss against a top team at home. It's never ideal. But I think, as I mentioned, there's two pass interference calls on Janos Jenkins late in the game that really cost him the game. And if it wasn't for that, the game wasn't over by any means late in the game. So the Saints were favoured going into that. If they were able to, to you know, if those penalties didn't happen, they could have well won the game. And obviously they're missing Michael Thomas, which is that obviously that pinnacle, that stable piece for their offense. And any time a, a star receiver like that goes out, you're going to have some kind of, you know, you're going to stall on offense uh, at least a little bit. And obviously you were going to rely on, um, um, sorry, what's his name? Alvin Kamara. Um, yeah, I'm Kamara. Oh my goodness, I, was, I, I couldn't get Michael Thomas out of my head. Yeah, obviously going to write on Alvin Kamara to be that receiving, you know, threat in the backfield once the star receiver comes out. But if you do it too many times in a game, it, gets, it becomes predictable, and you kind of lose that edge. You, you lose predictability. So, I think against the Lions, especially if they get Michael Thomas to come back, they should definitely get their season back on track. I wouldn't be worried at this point, but if, you, if they do lose to the Lions and they get onto this losing cycle, I would, be, I would begin to become worried for the Saints. Alrighty, Anthony, the next question comes from Bolstered Up Sports. Could you see seven wins being enough to win the NFC East? Well, I feel like I thought the fact that we have Washington leading the NFC East with a win percentage of 0.33%, You'd say you'd almost say, yeah, this is this is um, this is definitely a possibility. But I think I think Dallas, they're sitting second. They've we've, they've got that offense, which is just can't can't deny that they're gonna you know kick in gear and eventually you know become that top spot in the NFC in the NFC East. Their, their offense, especially going up against teams like you know New York, Washington, and Philadelphia. I think if their offense is at their peak when they're playing against those teams, there's no way they're going to be bothered at all, I think. So I think, I think given that, it's, it's unrealistic for the Cowboys to go anywhere below 8-8. I think they'll definitely finish with a winning record. Fair enough. I agree. Our final question for you, Anthony, comes from Adam, who asks, is a Saints squad without Kamara a playoff-less team? Yeah, at the moment... It's a tough question. I think I'd probably say they are probably still a playoff team. I'd still, they still have their eyes set, you know, clearly on winning the division. If not, they'd end up with a wild card spot, you know, assuming if Michael Thomas wasn't in their team for the rest of the season, they had their current roster, you know, play for the rest of the season. But they're going to get him back in, if not this week, the week after. So I think it'll really, it'll, that will really open up their chances of making the playoffs. But right now, I think, I think Kamara being that option, uh, that receiving option on key third downs, I think 
that becomes too predictable. So I think Emmanuel Sanders, whilst he is a veteran receiver for sure, I think being a player who's only been with the Saints for you know three games now, I think he it's probably unrealistic for him to carry that um, that receiving game for the Saints. So I think right now they are a significantly they don't look like they'll win a division right now uh, the way they're tracking. But I think as I said before, Michael Thomas comes back, that all changes in my opinion. I don't think that. I don't think the Saints will miss the playoffs when Michael Thomas comes back. Anthony, I just, I just want to get, just want to hear a opinion on this. Do you think that the Saints are a better team with? So hypothetically, right now, do you think the Saints are better right now than they would be if they had Michael Thomas but not Alvin Kamara? That's a really good question. Um, I, th- oh, I'm gonna go with. I, I think they're probably better off if they had to choose one or the other. I think they're probably better off with Alvin Kamara. And I, that's it's a really hard question to answer. Um, but I think the reason I go with that is because I think Alvin Kamara, obviously he has that ability rushing, when he's rushing from the, in the backfield, he's obviously a gun. And he also, as I mentioned, you know, countless times before, he is an option uh, as a receiver. So if, you, if they really had, if Michael Thomas was out the entire season and they had to, you know, they had to bring in someone else to, 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 you know, to act as another receiver. Kamara can do that. And so that's a, that's a hard question, but I think Kamara would just get the edge of a Michael Thomas. That wraps up Anthony's Q&A for this week's episode. On to our next segment, that is multi-madness. And uh, last week we could not get the job done after a, a week two win. Um, it, our multi was doomed the minute the Jags lost because they were our first leg out of our five. The Jags, Chargers, and Cardinals couldn't get the job done for us. And our only winners were, in fact, the Titans and Chiefs who had the two worst odds out of our five legs, which is quite interesting. But that is the NFL. And we're going to go straight back at it uh, today for this week. And we have got our first leg, and that is Arizona to beat Carolina. Um and you know, you've, you've got to think the Cardinals uh, are going to want to bounce back after a pretty disappointing loss at home against the Lions. And while, while Carolina beat the Chargers last week, I don't think you know, they're going to get anywhere near a playoff spot. And I don't think they're a playoff caliber team, excuse me. So I think that the uh, Arizona will um, get the win. Yeah, I think... I think Arizona, yeah, as you mentioned, Jack, they'll definitely want to bounce back. And they're definitely more than capable of, you know, being Carolina. I think Kyler Murray, it's going to be really hard for the Panthers to get to him to stop his, you know, his running threat. Um, yeah, I think it's... it's the Cardinals, they're, they're looking to, you know, they're definitely looking to get a, a playoff spot and proving against a team like Carolina who aren't in the greatest of forms, that's, they're going to need to win to do that. And I think that's the clear option here. Our second leg is Dallas to beat the Browns. We talked about this matchup. Um, it's at eight AT&T Stadium. It should, I think, it should be a Dallas win. We talked about the Browns, you know, having the ability to come in and um, win with their run game and their defense. But I think Dallas have, you know, the inside shot to win this game. Yeah, Dallas are definitely going to be upset after the Seahawks game. They were so close to winning that game, and I think I think they're going to be hungrier than the Browns. I think. I think the Browns as a whole, they just lack that sort of winning mentality. They don't, 
they don't want it as much as the Cowboys do, I think, this week. And I think that's what's going to get the Cowboys over the edge. Yeah, I agree. Our third leg is the LA Rams to beat the Giants at home uh, at SoFi Stadium. And I think this is a pretty um, easy leg. The Giants have looked disastrous, especially on offense so far. And I can't see it changing against, um, you know, a defense led by Aaron Donald, especially the run game. I can't see it getting off the ground. It's going to be half a Devontae Freeman for sure. Um, the Rams offense is pretty potent at its best. And after coming back 25 points out against the Bills last week, they were pretty unlucky to lose that game in the end. Um, so they, you know, in an alternate universe, they could be three, no, but I think they do get the win against the Giants this week. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think yours for this one, I believe were the very, they're definitely in the Rams favor. I think, as you mentioned, Jack, the Giants, they're not in any good form at all. And so I just, simple as that, I just don't think the Rams will be bothered at all, the Giants. Our second last leg of this week's multi is Seattle to beat Miami in uh, Florida. And this does seem like um, a pretty simple choice. Um, obviously, we did talk about Seattle's uh, a few, few few injuries after their win against the Cowboys, but I don't think they'll be troubled enough to, um, you know, not come away with the win against the Dolphins, who, you know, despite being the Jaguars, are probably no match for Russell Wilson that offense. Yeah, Russell Wilson's going to carve up that Dolphins defense. I mean, if he was able to do it to the Patriots, there's no doubt he's going to be able to do it to the Dolphins. What I I'm, what I am worried about though for this leg is that the Seahawks they like to play to the level of their competition. They usually keep it close. It's usually a one score game, no matter who they play. So, you know, they sometimes they beat teams that they shouldn't, and sometimes they lose to teams that they shouldn't. So, I, I think it's safe. I think the Seahawks win, but uh, I, I definitely will be watching that game, and I'll be nervous about the multi. Now, our final leg of this week's multi madness is the Tennessee Titans to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. And the Titans have looked pretty good on offense. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill has led the way. Um, Derek Henry has been obviously really good, but he probably hasn't quite reached, um, you know, his best of last season just yet, which is okay because Tannehill has really taken charge of his offense and, uh, you know, they're 3-0 and they deserve to be 3-0. And Jadavion Clowney has just added to their strong defense already. And, in the entire contest of the Steelers, it's easily our most riskiest pick. Um, the Tennessee Titans have the longest odds of this multi, but I think I'm pretty confident they can get the job done at home. I wonder, I wonder, it's worth, worth noting, I wonder, like, obviously we had, we mentioned our new segment, how, you know, the Titans, some of the Titans staff, you know, contracted, had, were tested positive for COVID-19. So I believe the Titans have ruled out uh, any practice this week. Will that game even go ahead? Do you reckon it will go ahead? And and if so, do you reckon the Titans are going to be like they're going to be their 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 ability to win the game will be hampered by the fact they won't be able to have any training time this week? It will be interesting to see whether this game does go ahead, um, at least at its scheduled you know time and date. But um, yeah, again, like we talked about, I think you're going to have to wait um, to hear from the NFL about whether or not this outbreak was contained or not. Um, and 
if it is contained, I think it will go ahead. But if it isn't, it may get moved to Monday, it may get moved next, to next week. But seeing as though Tennessee you know, has closed its practice facility until at least Saturday, it, it isn't a great sign, um, considering they're playing on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't look great. But I think we've just got to wait and see the results of some of these cases. Now, that wraps up multi-madness for this week. We're going to move on to TDU's game of the week, and that is Tennessee versus Pittsburgh. Obviously, we, had, we just talked about them, um, that this matchup being our multi. It is also our game of the week this week. Now, as usual, we're going to split up uh, the four uh, aspects of this game, the uh, better offense, better defense, better coaching, and which team we think has the more momentum. And Emilian is going to take over Riff's um, usual uh, responsibility, and he's going to go over the defense and coaching. But I'm going to kick it off with who I think has the better offense going into this game. And I think Tennessee has the better offense. I just talked about how Ryan Tannehill has really taken charge since taking over his quarterback from Marcus Mariota last season. He's been really good. Um, he's been able to stand in the pocket and make some really nice throws. You know, they've not just had to lean on Derrick Henry, um, which is what we thought would happen. But, you know, Tannehill's been just as good as Henry. He's, he's been just as important to this offense. And I think if you take Tannehill away, you know, the offense, you know, it, it's, not, it's nowhere near as good. So Tannehill was really important. Um, the, the offense, they've averaged 26.6 points per game. Um, and so I think they're the better offense. Ben, ben Roethlisberger is still re-acclimating himself with, Pittsburgh, with Pittsburgh's offense after being out injured for a while. Um, and while he was pretty good last week against Houston, I don't think their offense is quite at the standard of uh, Tennessee's just yet. Okay, so Arif had defense this week, and I'm going to cover that for him. I think it was a pretty easy choice for him. He picked the Steelers' defense. I mean, as good as the Titans' defense has been at times, uh, there's not been a more consistent defense than the Steelers uh, so far in the season. So they've had nine sacks and five interceptions in three games. I think that's very impressive. Their defensive line is obviously incredibly dangerous, um, as is their linebacker core. Uh, it's one of the risk favorites in the league, apparently. Uh, TJ Watt, Bud Dupree, and Devin Bush, they're all studs in that front seven. Uh, their secondary has also stepped, stepped up quite a bit, causing uh, quite a bit of turnovers. So if this game does go ahead, um, the Titans' offense will have to be at the top of their game to succeed against the Steelers' defense. All right, and now for me, I had the better coaching, and I've gone with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think Mike Tomlin is, one of, is a really good head coach. I think he's definitely underrated. Based on last season, he didn't really have much to work with with Mason Rudolph mainly taking the charge at quarterback there. So I think with Ben Roethlisberger healthy, I think Mike Tomlin really gets the Steelers' offense going. And I think a true testament to that is the emergence of young superstars um, in, in that Steelers' team. I mean, you got TJ Watt, uh, Devin Bush, Juju Smith-Schuster. you got all these young players. Uh, the Steelers' team as a whole is very young. Minka Fitzpatrick has emerged as a star, um, thanks to Tomlin and the Steelers' coaching staff, in my opinion. And I think I trust Mike Tomlin a lot more than I trust uh, Mike Vrabel. And so for momentum, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's basically, I'm going off that just based off the, the wins and, you know, by the margin that both teams have had. The Steelers have put away probably some better teams overall, I think. 
you know, with the Broncos and the Texans. And on the other hand, you've got the Titans, who they currently have an average wing margin of only two points. So it's not that high. And they haven't, been, they haven't played, um, you know, the greatest teams in the NFL so far. They haven't, had, they haven't had to play anyone that's too difficult. So I think just going off the scoring and how much they've beaten teams by this season, I think we have to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers having more momentum. So, boys, what are our predictions for this game? You know, I know we predicted the multi. We had the Titans winning. But, I mean, I can't see the Steelers' defense letting up against the Titans. No matter how how good the Titans' offense looks right now, Tannehill obviously falling out. Derrick Henry can be a machine. I think that the Steelers' offense will definitely do enough. The, the defense, sorry. The defense will definitely do enough for the Steelers' offense to capitalize. Yeah, Still? I think... I think it'll be relatively low scoring. I'm going to go with, let's say, 20 to 17 for the Steelers. Okay, my prediction, I think, assuming the game does go ahead, I think that score-wise, I think it'll be... I think it'll be 20 to 23. I think Tennessee will get the win here. I think... I think that the big factor of this game will be the Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh's um, defence and whether or not they can contain Tannehill and Derek Henry... Um, that will really decide on, you know, on the outcome at the end of the game. And I think that's the X factor that will determine the result. Yeah, I think that this week, the Steelers defense will be able to be exposed a little bit um, by Tannehill and Henry. I think Henry doesn't quite break out um, just yet this season against the Steelers uh, D-line. However, I think Tannehill will be able to if he gets the ball out quickly, I think he will be able to find um, his receivers um, because, you know, despite how strong that secondary is with Mika Fitzpatrick, um, I think there are other guys in that secondary who are able to be exposed a little bit. Terrell Edmonds isn't superb in coverage. Joe Hayden isn't as good as Fitzpatrick. So I think Tannehill will be able to expose a little bit um, in the passing game. And I'm going to go with 27 to 20 in the Titans' favour. That is our game of the week for week four. And we're going to move on to Emilian's team to watch. Emilian, take it away. Alrighty, thanks, Jack. So last week, uh, I picked the Los Angeles Rams as my team to watch. They had, honestly, my favorite game of the week was Bills versus Rams. I thought it was highly entertaining, a game of two halves. Um, the Rams did have a massive comeback going in the second half, but unfortunately, they just weren't able to capitalize on the third and longs that the Bills faced. The Rams let up a lot of yards on those final few drives from the Bills and the Bills were able to take up victory. Say what you want about the penalties. I don't care about that. I think the refs were bad for both sides. So, Bills got the win there. This week, my team to watch is the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're playing their weakest opponents so far in the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if, if there's a time for them to get their first win, it's definitely now. Joe Burrow is going to be hungry for his first win. I know, Jack, you, you told me that yesterday. Um, yeah, I agree with you there. Joe Burrow is definitely going to be hungry for his first win. And I can see the Bengals winning this one. That being said, the Jags have been inconsistent and they've surprised me in both ways this season um, so far. So I don't know too much what to expect in terms of like how, um, how well both teams play. But for me, the big question in this game regarding the Bengals is can the defense keep Burrow and the Bengals' offense in the game? And we'll see how that goes. I really think they can step up to the occasion. I don't think the Jags' offense is too difficult to deal with. So... I think the Bengals can get the win here, but I wouldn't bet on it. That is Emilian's team to watch for week four. 
Now on to our last segment of this week's episode, and that is Jack's real reaction. You guys are going to uh, prepare some statements for me, and I'm going to re- respond real or a reaction. All right, I'll kick it off. Um, first one we got is even with his poor start to the season, Sam Donald will have a more productive season than Daniel Jones. That's a tough one, Anthony. Um, I think I'm going to go with real. Uh, I do like Donald. Um, I think he's a better pure quarterback um, than a guy like Daniel Jones. Jones, oh, it's, it's, it's a really tough one, actually, because they're both, you know, hampered, hindered by poor, you know, overall talent around them. Um, the coaching hasn't been really great on either, on either team. So they're both kind of on their own in terms of producing. I think Donald is just a, a better passer. So I'm going to go with, yeah, real. I think Donald will have a slightly better season than Jones, but both will probably be um, negatively affected by, you know, the guys they play with. Alrighty, Jack. Uh, my first thing for you is if the Steelers beat the Ravens in both of their matchups this season, the Steelers will win the division. Yeah, that's real. Um, a million. If, if they are somehow able to beat them twice, then I definitely think they win the division. Um, I can't see a scenario in which they beat the Ravens both times and then lose the division. But at the same time, I don't know if they're going to beat them both times. Um, I can see the Steelers winning one game, maybe at Heinz Field, but yeah, I, I can't see them winning twice. But if they do, then I agree real that um, they would win the division. If uh, the Chiefs, in defeating the Ravens, can now consider themselves going 6-0 as a legitimate possibility? Um, I'll go with overreaction here. Um, it, it's really tough to go 6-0. And, um, you know, it's, it's only been done... Is it once it's only been done, I think? so. Yeah, once before by Dolphins. Yeah. I, I can't see it happening again. In today's NFL, when, you know... It feels like this season there have been so many big leads given up. Like this season, at least so far, this season more than you know any previous season I've watched, it seems like big leads are so vulnerable. Like you can, you can have like a three plus touchdown lead and still lose. It's it's happened a few times. It's you know in this in this day and age of the NFL, I think that they will at least you know suffer one loss this season. So I'm going to go with overreaction. Sorry, Anthony, um, before, sorry, Jack, before I go on to my next minute, Anthony, I just want to correct you. The Patriots went 16-0 uh, when they went to Super Bowl 42 and they got upset by the Giants in that historic game. Just wanted to clear that up. Um, Jack, next statement for you. Alden Smith is the front runner for Comeback Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. I-, I like that suggestion. <laughs> yeah, that's I- tough. It's another tough one. I'm trying to think of other candidates for the award right now, but um, yeah, I guess I go with real. He has been, he has, he, he's kind of just stepped, he's just, just kind of stepped back in with the Cowboys and kind of started producing straight away. Um, he was really good in week one, a bit quiet in week two, but this week he was, you know, producing once again, I think he got at least, was it two sacks or just one? I think he got, he got, um, yeah, I think he got two. I think he got two. Yeah. He, he was, he was quite productive and, um, it's been good. It's been good because he has been out a while and, uh, you know, he was a really good player back when he was playing earlier and, 
you know, to think that, you know, he's able to produce straight away just like that back on a roster is, you know, pretty incredible. But yeah, it, I'm just trying to think, can you guys think of any other guys who have, who, who are kind of candidates right now for that award at this, at this point in time? Well, the only one I'd say would be Cam Newton, but I don't, I think yeah. definitely Smith's production has definitely been better than Newton so far. Yeah. I think Newton has been pretty good. Um, yes, but I, I think, I think, I think Smith is the front runner right now. I think, I think his impacts has, has been really great for the Cowboys. Without him, I think they'd have barely any pass rush at all with the injuries they've suffered. So I, th- I think, I think he's the front runner. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, go with Hill with that. Um, I don't know whether he. I don't know whether he'll win it, but yeah, I agree. Um, he's been he's been really good so far, and I'm you know I'm happy for him. All right. So next up, we got considering the Patriots um, defeated the Raiders by 16 points. We can say that their victory of the Saints in Week Two was simply an aberration. Oh, that's an overreaction, Anthony. Um, the Raiders are always going to have a tough time coming in and playing at Foxborough against the Patriots, even with no fans. It's just such a hard place to play just because of, you know, the history of, of Foxborough Stadium. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was an aberration. Um, the Raiders played quite well. They played well against Carolina in week one. Um, you know, they played well against the Saints. They were in the game for a fair portion of that match against the Patriots as well. But yeah, it's going to be hard for, you know, any team to come in and win at Foxborough, so no, I don't think it was aberration. They just, they just couldn't get the job done. All right, Jack. Final statement. Uh, final statement for you, and I think you pretty much covered this earlier in the episode. The NFC East is the Cowboys' division to lose. Yeah, at, yeah. At this point, that's a real. Um, we're throwing in as a lot of um, football has to be played, but at this point in time, I'm going to have to go with real. Um, I really would like the Eagles to come back and kind of, you know, really challenge the Cowboys, mostly because I, I, predict, I predicted them to um, win the division. So it would be nice to see at least, you know, the Cowboys be challenged. But at this point in time, it does look like a one-horse race. So, yeah, I'm going to look at this one. That wraps up the final segment for this week's episode for week four of the Touchdown podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you go and follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. That is at touch.down.under. We post all of our podcast and on podcast content there. So go follow us there. We're also on Twitter at the TDU podcast uh, and we upload segments and now full episodes of our podcast to YouTube and at Facebook at touchdownunder. Thank you guys for listening today um, and uh, see you guys next week.